Welcome to Keep Going, a podcast about failure and success, hosted by John Biggs. Every week, we talk to an amazing person about a time they failed and what they learned. And remember, when you're going through hell, keep going. How do I want to be credited? Uh, like, I'm just, you know, a writer, an author, um, and a, a substack erot- eroticist. Okay. <laughs> All right, there we go. It's very weird to describe my job because yeah. I never know what I'm doing. Like, I'm always like, I'm somebody who always says yes to the meeting. Like, I do consulting. I do like any, I, I've done so much stuff in my life. Like, I'm really like, I, are we recording yet? Yeah, we're recording. So, yeah. so with that. Welcome to actually that was actually that that was actually a great in, that was a, actually a great intro for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so welcome back to Keep Going. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show I have uh, Allison Robicelli. She's an author, as you heard before, and a Substack eroticist, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to bring you on, Allison, because I think you've uh, you've had you've had experienced a little bit of uh, I guess iniquity over the years, and uh, and oh, I, I, I love I loved your bakery when it was around. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, God, that was, it's so funny because the bakery um, and that whole business, we started it in like 2008 and it like, it had my name, uh, Robicelli's. It was a family thing. And, and to be clear, it's, this was out in Brooklyn. This was actually literally down the street from us. I didn't, I didn't put, I didn't make the connection until recently. Yeah. Um, So it was an Italian bakery, right? Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a, a bakery, cakes, pies, all that stuff. Um, outwardly very successful we had a you know i did a cookbook for penguin and i was on food network and cooking channel and like you know um village voice called us one of the 99 most iconic restaurants in brooklyn and one of only two bakeries to make the list um we've been uh, named you know top chocolate dessert in the city by zagat like all this other stuff um but it's a small business in new york city And like the reason we opened up in New York City is because I grew up there. That was my home. Um, You know, wasn't some kid who came with like tons of investor money and big dreams. Like we, we, everything was bootstrapped. Um, And every day was like a, a, every day was a struggle to survive, you know, always, you know, being underwater and um, like in the food business, the margins are low. And in New York, they just kept getting lower and lower and lower. And there's so many things like we people finally understand it now with what happened with COVID, but everything has always been precarious. Like if you have um, like a, a rainy weekend, that could kill you. Like a restaurant can go under because it rains too much in a month or, um, you know, the, the subway uh, is skipping a station or like there, there's a billion and a half things that can go wrong and you're always putting out fires. Um, but it was all I knew it was, you know, my name, my identity. And again, when you hold a small business, it's not a nine to five thing. It's a 24 hour thing, seven days a week, 365. It's, it's you. So the idea of closing or transitioning or moving on is as foreign as just saying like, you're going to die. And then, or like going into witness protection, like you're going to lose everything, um, you know, so and it, it did when we closed, um, I guess it felt like a death. It was crushing in a lot of ways. It was happy in a lot of ways because we really hated it. 
Um, we hated it for a lot of it. Like there were good times, but it's a terrible way to live. Like being a small business person or like, I, I would tell anybody like, don't fucking do it. It's just, it's, it's awful. Um, and coming six years later and being like, oh my God, that seems like a lifetime ago. But at that point, not being able to ever imagine a life after it, like, like, if it ended, like, who would I be? What's my identity? What do I even do with myself? Um, and talking to a therapist about it um, years later, like when I, I brought it up and talked, she said um, it sounded a lot like I was describing. She's like, the things you say sound a lot like parents I see who have lost a child. And I have two kids. That's not something I would say lightly, but it is 100% accurate because it's, it's anybody who owns a small business knows it's not a job. It's your identity. It's, it's part of you. What do you think happened ultimately? Or was it as a, was it just a slow, slow attrition? Yeah, it was a slow attrition. Like, you know, it's funny. It's like, we never made money. Um, We sometimes made enough to survive. A lot of times we didn't make money to survive, but outwardly, you know, we're successful. And years later, you always think that there's something wrong with you because everybody looks like they're doing great and you're pretending you're doing great. And then um, after we closed and years later, like I was, we were kind of part of the, the Brooklyn food scene, this thing that kind of started and took over the world and everybody profited off of it, except for the people in Brooklyn who actually <laughs> made all this stuff. Like, like, um, my image has been used across the world and books and, um, things have been inspired by me and like big corporations have ripped off my stuff and I never saw a dime of it. And that happened over and over with like, you know, the pickle makers and the jam makers and the candy makers, all of us. Um, and then years later, like, I think we're all gone. And when we got together and talked about it, we had all been in the same boat. We were all suffering. And a lot of my friends were suffering worse than I did. Like I thought I had debt, but it's nothing compared to like, some other people I know. And it's like, oh my God. So we were all drowning and we were like, nothing I was going through was abnormal, but we were all trained. Not We, we couldn't talk about it. How do you talk about something like that? Especially when the press is like all over you and customers all over you and you have to put on a happy face every day. Nobody wants to know that you're, you're miserable and you're like, barely like sleeping and juggling parenthood and trying like, I, I wasn't social. I never went, I missed weddings. I missed funerals, um, no vacations, like people, it's not a normal life by any means. And it becomes very hard to connect with other human beings because they just don't understand it. Um, and leaving that behind and changing, like, it took me a long time to unravel it, but holy shit, am I glad that fucking bakery is gone. <laughs> oh my God. If I was still there, I would be dead. I am like, I, I was so terrified of losing it and closing it and moving on was the best thing that ever happened. How do you, so I, I asked this question a lot. How did you know when it was time to close, when it was time to move? Um. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it sounds like there's extenuating circumstances, like not having any money, but oh, I think. God. Yeah. The, well, I mean, like we had just gotten to a point where like, I, I swear to God, um, I was ready to snap at like 
a customer or like the way people treat you when you're in the service industry is garbage. And like, we had great customers. Like we've spent Christmas with some customers. Like we, you know, the regulars are the best and like family family, but like for every good person, there's 10 miserable ones and people who treat you like less than human. Um, and what broke me was my, my ex-husband and uh, business partner, we were away uh, at the Newport Mansions Wine and Food Festival. We had just opened for Jacques Pepin. Like it's a very big, very fancy food festival. Um, and we're both miserable and tired, but it's the only time we get away uh, all year. Again, we get away because it's work and we just couldn't enjoy anything because we kept getting fucking phone calls from the bakery and something went wrong and this and that. So then finally, it's like Sunday night and we're supposed to get out of town. And there was a restaurant we went to the year before that we just we loved. And all we talked about all year was going back to this restaurant and having this one dish. And right before we got into the restaurant, like literally we're standing on the curb in front of it. um, We got a call from a customer who was just screaming at us. And she had come in at closing time at five o'clock at the same time somebody else did. And they knew each other and they were chatting and they grabbed each other's cakes. So she had gone back to her house and she's like, I don't have the right cake. And somebody needs to drive here to Staten Island and bring me a new one. And I'm like, I'm in Rhode Island. What am I supposed to be doing? And she was just cursing us out and we didn't, we both lost our appetites and we were so sick and we just got in the car and started driving home. And uh, Matt looked at me, he's like, I quit. He's like, I'm not going back. I'm done with this. I, I can't, it's like, it's killing me. It's physically killing me and I hate it. Um, and then I went on Facebook and again, like I grew up in New York city. I grew up in Brooklyn. I loved it, but it became apparent to me. Like I, I hated what it became um, it was not the city and it no longer is the city, the magical city I grew up in. And more than anything, I realized like my kids were seeing their parents work their asses off for no returns. How do you tell your kid you can be anything you want when you grow up? When you have to, like, if you're a teacher, you need to have a roommate to an afford apartment in New York City. Like, I was like, how do I tell a kid to dream and to be anything they want in this, in this climate? So I had gone online and um, asked Facebook and I was like, I'm done. Where do I move? I don't know anything but this. I never thought I'd leave. I'm, I was like 36 years old. And somebody mentioned Baltimore and I was like, I've never been there. And then I came down and I fell in love and we had gotten hooked up with a developer and we were going to move the bakery. Um, and we closed the bakery in Brooklyn. We were making plans to move uh, and open down here. And then Matt got sick. And during the time we were off, it was like, oh, wow, I like not having that bakery anymore. Like, I like not having to deal with these mean people who just verbally abuse me because they're entitled. I like not having all the headaches of this place every single day. Um, And then we were, people were still talking about opening and people were, you know, making certain offers to us. Um, but we started to kind of like our lives, like without it. Um, and I started food writing and spending more time with my kids and my husband started doing, or my ex-husband started doing consulting. Um, and that was it. It was like, okay, we can't go back and do that again. Like even, even the aftermath, which was 
terrible in a lot of ways. It, it's like I said before, like the death, it's like, it's, it's hard dealing with the death, but the suffering before it is like, it's not worth living in that kind of suffering and that kind of pain. Like there, it's incomparable. I guess the other question is, what would you have done differently? Would you have done anything if it doesn't sound like it, but I'm just wondering. Out earlier. I would have, yeah. I would have quit much earlier. Um, you know, you put your, your life into something and it's, it's not only a matter of pride or feeling like you might fail, but again, it's your identity. It's like, who am I outside of this? And when you're a small business owner, it's really hard to explain yourself on a resume because you don't do one thing. You do all the things, you know, and that's why I had trouble explaining myself before. Like, you know, I'm a food writer, but I do tons of stuff. Like I help build businesses. I, you know, have done PR consulting. I, you know, I've God, you know, you do the dishes in a bakery and you, you clean the floor and you fix leaky ceiling tiles and you do your own marketing and sales and delivery and like everything is your job. So the, you know, you, you just can't comprehend like, what would I even do if I wasn't doing this? Um, and now I know, you know, years later, but at the time, like you're so into it you can't really understand the outside world. Um, and letting go was like terrifying and it was disastrous in a lot of ways, but I am exponentially happier. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not even comparable. Are there any, would you say that there are any like resources for like a small business person who's, who's trying to do, I mean, you got, you on paper, everything's perfect, right? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're well-known, you're, you're beloved, you're beloved in the neighborhood, except when they yell at you. Yeah. Uh, and nobody sees, nobody sees the real, what's really going on behind the scenes. Do you, have you seen any like resources that like, if somebody's trying to build something, even like a taco truck or something, like how do you survive? You know, it, it the, the goalposts change constantly. Um, like they, they change constantly. So my thing while I was, while I was back then, and this was like from 2008 to 2016, um, was always, how do I stay relevant? And it was always just having a plan on how to stay relevant constantly. And it's, it's exhausting. And I'm glad that I don't have to do that anymore. But like now, you know, once Instagram happened and let me tell you, I've made a couple of very viral desserts um, and Instagram famous things and Instagram brings you a ton of customers for like a week and then everybody moves on to the next thing. Um, it's so it's really like, it's a new ball game every single day. Um, and the scariest thing is like, you start to lose your identity or the sense of why you got into it. Cause again, in, in the service industry, you're in the service of others. Um, but <laughs> they kind of can own you. Like I always said, like, if you work for yourself, people think you don't have a boss. And I was like, that's bullshit. Like literally every person on earth is my boss. Every person I see on the street is my boss. Um, I think that the best resource, A, go to therapy. You need to have a therapist. Um, and I, I know that might sound like crazy, but it, yeah, trust me, you need a therapist. Preferably one that has their own practice because they might be able to commiserate. Um, create, if you don't have one of them, Create a network of people in similar businesses that you trust 
and be very honest. I wish I had been more honest with my friends um, because we all had resources we could share with each other. We could help each other out. But most importantly, it would have like you you didn't wouldn't have felt so alone. Um, and it's it's very lonely um, working for yourself. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say like it wasn't a, a great experience. You know, I there were really a lot of good times, but I was I was 28 when we opened and I was 36 when we closed. And the idea of being locked into something the rest of my life is kind of insane. You know, this idea of being the same person doing the same thing for as long as I did and not having like those kinds of opportunities to grow and change because you're stuck in a place, especially brick and mortar. Like you're like the place owns you. You don't own a business. A business owns you. Um, so kind of, kind of being more honest with yourself and like, you know what I really freaking hate is like hustle culture. I hate what that's become um, because it's really destroyed uh, our humanity and it makes us feel like failures if we're not working 24 seven and if we're not always trying to like be better or grow or take things to the next level or whatever, like there's no humanity in, we, we don't put any humanity into stuff anymore. Um, and, and that's not, that's not healthy and it's not good. And I, I learned this the hard way. So if you're an entrepreneur out there and like, you're listening to this, like you don't have to do this if you're not happy, you know, like if I wanted to be miserable, I can go work in insurance and make a lot of money and be miserable. Or I can own a small business and make no money and be miserable. So <laughs> like, it's like how, you know, if you're miserable, there's better places to do it where you can make six figures. Yeah. Once it stops being fun and it stops being happy, um, you know, you, you should, you should leave because you're not failing anybody nobody really cares. Like you need to do what's best for you. Um, and you can't let other people's perceptions of you steal your life. That's, that's like, that's probably the most heartfelt and, uh, and intense advice that I think we've had on the show thus far. So that's, uh, that's amazing. No, thank you. I, I was going to ask, like, is there a certain personality type that is, that is well adapted to this? Do you think, or oh, I, mean, yeah. how, I have ADHD, as, I have ADHD yeah. and that helps a lot. Um, if you have ADHD, you should definitely have a partner to make sure shit gets done. Um, but somebody like me, like I think on my feet really fast and that's something I've never been able to convey over a resume. You know, when people are like, well, what do you do? I'm like, I do a lot of things because it's not just a lot of things need to get done, but things are changing so fast and rapidly evolving. And you have to just you know, you always need to be two steps ahead. And if you're not ahead, you need to know how to create new plans and react as things shift. So like, if you're somebody who needs like six months full of focus groups and board meetings and, you know, meetings that just go in circles and circle back and never go anywhere. Um, it's not great for you. You need to have like nonstop energy and really enjoy solving problems and fixing problems because it's nothing but problems. All you're doing is solving problems all the time. Um, so ADHD really helps with that. Um, but again, you know, it really depends on the type of business that you're doing. Like there's, there's people who 
have nice businesses that are nice and quiet and they never have to speak to a person and they just leave them alone. And I like those businesses. That's what I needed to get it. Like my Substack. My Substack is essentially a small business. And um, people, I get to write and people leave me alone. And it's great. I like that. I don't want to be in any meetings. All right. Well, I don't okay. ever want to be on Slack again <laughs> as long as I live. That's uh, that. Maybe maybe you'll get your wish. Hopefully, I think I think that's everybody's wish. Yeah, I mean we're 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 heading towards it, and like I mean the Substack is a small business, but it's so different for me now because I don't have hard costs. I don't have overhead. I don't have like a physical space. Having a physical space is just just so so aggravating and so like oh uh, like again it owns you. You don't own it. So. Um, like now, I think I'm always going to be an entrepreneur. Um, I like starting new things. I like the problem. Like, that's the thing. I like this stuff. It's not all doom and gloom. I am legitimately really good at it. I can go into like somebody's business, especially a small business, and think of like a, 10 marketing ideas that won't cost them any money. Or like all I see is possibility. When you have ADHD, everything is possibility and momentum. But um you're growing as a person. You're getting smarter as you grow up. You know, I'm smarter now at 42 than I have ever been in my life. And I know all these new things. So the idea of being stuck in the same place all the time is unfathomable to me at this point. Um, so you need to let yourself as an entrepreneur be okay with evolving and changing and letting things go because letting that go opened up the door to so many amazing things. I would not have the opportunities I do now. Um, like as a writer, I, I wasn't a writer. I've never taken a writing class, but I got offered to do like op-eds when I was a chef. Like people would want my takes and they were like, oh, wow, you're really good at this. So when I, um, and you know, my first book, it was a starred review from Publishers Weekly. It was on all these top 10 lists. And I was like, so then when I, when I closed the bakery, I didn't know what to do. And I contacted some editors who had me work for them for free for years. I was like, would you give me money to do this? Um, and then my first piece, I got nominated for a James Beard Award. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I know what I'm doing, you know? Um, but that was, I mean, I'm getting better every day. I'm learning what I'm doing every day and progressively improving on things every day. So um, allow yourself room to grow and change. And if you're not happy, change. You deserve that. Sounds great. Uh, easier said than done for some folks, I guess. But I think uh, I think you're a uh, you're a perfect example of someone who pulled it off, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, yeah, I'm divorced now. I mean, but the, like, honestly, the the business dying had a lot to do with my marriage falling apart. Um, that's just undeniable. Um, you know, there were a lot of bad things that came out of it, but I mean, it is what it is. Like if I go back in a time machine and, you know, make changes, I would be in a very different place. And I don't know if I'd like that place. I know where I am. Like, I mean, I'm not rich, but I'm clever as shit. You know, I am like, I don't have a yacht and I'm not in a 1%, but I, I love what I do. I'm, you know, as a writer, I get to make people happy every day. I'm really appreciative of, of everything I have. Like people I grew up with, they have houses and two cars and they feel like they're not doing enough. They, they don't think they have anything. And like, 
being somebody who's bootstrapped, like I find the beauty in everything. I'm grateful for everything. I, I have a wonderful appreciation for just the entire world around me, um, which is really helpful as we approach the end of days. Um, it's nice to be able to see yeah. beauty and destruction and, and small business. Like you see destruction, you see like the end of the world, you experience the end of the world sometimes quite a bit, um, <laughs> but you know how to survive and pull out and keep going, you know? So for all the bad stuff, like I'm built different. I am like, I am a person you want around when shit goes down because mm-hmm. I know how to handle myself and I can get through anything. I think I think you just wrote a simultaneously a Bruce Springsteen song and an Alanis Morissette song with Maybe all that. Maybe I did. Maybe you did. Yeah. Allison, thank you for joining us on the show. This Anytime, has been John. Uh, this has been extremely enlightening. I'm John Biggs. Uh, this has been Keep Going, a podcast about failure and success. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Keep Going. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And remember, when you're going through hell, keep going. The weather's so cool.